0: Well, today does begin our official countdown or journey to Christmas, because today is the start of Advent. Advent is the four-week period of preparation leading to the coming of Christ at Christmas, specifically as Christ comes among us as a tiny baby boy. Now, I know that some of you have been counting down to Christmas already for a long, long time. For some of you, it has been months in the making, and maybe for just a few of you, you never even got around to putting away some of those decorations from last year. So I know that some of you are more than ready to jump into this journey, to explore the coming of Christ. And for the rest of us, it might feel like it's coming very quickly and we might be feeling like, oh my goodness, uh, Christmas is not far away. So we wanna use today and the weeks to come to really prepare our hearts and to do our best to journey with the characters who who are going to be used by God in the bringing of Christ into our world. And we hope that this is a journey that we can really prepare our hearts so that whether we feel like it's been a long time coming or that Christmas is almost upon us, that in this season, we can journey with intentionality so that we ourselves can be prepared to welcome Christ among us. Now, the truth is, Christmas will be here before we know it. But before we get there, we have to start here. And today's not the last Sunday of Advent, it's the very first. And where we begin today is with Mary. We know that we don't have Jesus being born among us without Mary. One of the dangers of Christmas is that many of us know the story, or at least pieces of the story, or at least think we know pieces of the story. We've heard enough pieces over the years, and it's been repeated enough that we can easily think, oh, I know what that's all about. We can think that we know enough about Christmas and the birth of Christ among us, so much so that it really can lose a sense of surprise and holiness among us. And then if we're not careful, the birth of Christ among us can lose a sense of its holiness and significance among us. Advent, though, helps us to hold on to that holiness and hold on to the sense of surprise as we intentionally make the journey all the way to the manger by slowing down, examining each step of the way, and with intentionality making that journey to explore how the birth of Christ came about. Various surveys have been done which show an increasing number of kids in our world actually do not know what the Christmas story is about. For example, a couple of years ago in England, a number of children were asked whose birthday is on December the 25th. 52% thought it was Santa's birthday. Additionally, 35% of those kids thought Jesus was born at the North Pole. Now, we know, as we're having this conversation, whose birthday it is that we want to focus on on December 25th, uh, obviously Jesus, and hopefully we know, too, where Jesus was born. That was in Bethlehem. But that does not automatically mean that because we know those particular facts or realities that we ourselves will experience the full impact of the birth of Christ among us. So part of what we're doing today and in the weeks to come is to really prepare our hearts for the birth of Christ, to journey as specifically as we can all the way to the manger. And again, that journey begins today with Mary. So look at what we are told. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. We hear: in the sixth month of Mary's, of, excuse me, of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel <clears throat> Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph a descendant of David. The Virgin's name was Mary. Now, Nazareth was in northern Israel, and Nazareth is about 65 miles north, as the crow flies, of Bethlehem, where Jesus would eventually be born. Today, many of us have probably heard the name Nazareth. It has been shared a number of times over the years. But back in this time, as this is being shared and happening, when the angel came to Mary, Nazareth, was a nobody type of place. Nazareth was as rural, as podunk, as backwards a place as you could get. In fact, the more popular city at the time was a place called Sepphoris, just a few miles away. And Sepphoris had about 30,000 people in the city itself, whereas Nazareth only had a few dozen, literally, folks who lived there. Nazareth was completely out of the way. It was this town, Sepphoris, that was a town of means and wealth. And many who lived in Nazareth were actually servants of people who lived in Sepphoris. So because of this, it was actually Sepphoris. That was the town that everybody wanted to live in. Some even called it the Jewel of the Nile because it had shopping, it had theater, it had schools, it had luxury villas. Not Nazareth. Nazareth was only three miles away, but it was literally, as they would say, on the other side of the tracks. In fact, when towns were listed in this time period, Nazareth did not even make the list. You might remember in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 46, the eventual disciple Nathaniel even exclaimed upon starting to learn of Jesus. He said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I and mean, that's how Nazareth was perceived. It was a place of no significance, a place of stigma, a place you did not want to come from. And yet this is where Mary lived. And it's not like this is an accident on the part of Scripture. To let this little detail slip in of where Mary was actually from, we're told over 25 different times in Scripture that we hear of Jesus from Nazareth. 25 plus times of hearing Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus of the place of no significance is literally what that's saying to us. Why is that idea repeated so many times? Part of it is because right off the bat, from moment one, God is making a statement. And the statement that God is making is this. When God chooses to associate with God's people, God most often chooses those who are humble. God works with those who do not think of themselves in too highly a fashion, which raises an immediate question for us. How humble are we? Uh, Truly, if we were to step back and really explore that in our lives, how humble are we? The reality is most people think they are more humble than they actually are oh the irony if we don't feel like we're experiencing much of god in our lives could it have something to do perhaps with a lack of humility in our own spirit perhaps a too elevated sense of self-importance because when we look at scripture so very frequently we see god using the least not the most self-important people. Think about it. Abraham was, taught to, uh, Abraham was used and thought to be past childbearing years when God moved in his life. Proud Joseph was only used by God from the depths of a prison cell, not when Joseph thought he was somebody. Moses was an outcast by the time that God used him, and David was the youngest and scrawniest of his brothers when God chose him to be king over Israel. And now today, we see God beginning this journey to the manger, not in the wealthy, wonderful city and town and place of Sepphorus, but in lowly Nazareth. And then, in the midst of that, as we're exploring that, who does God come to in Nazareth? Not the mayor of Nazareth. There was no mayor, actually. There weren't enough people for that. God doesn't come to a person of means. God does not come to a man. God comes to a woman and a young woman at that. Because at this time, Mary was probably only 13 to 14 years old. Why is it thought that she was that age? Because the average life expectancy for women at this time was only about age 40. So very often, women married as soon as they were physically able to bear children, which would have been around the age of 13 or 14. So here's Mary, age 13 or 14, and to her, God sends the angel Gabriel. Now, part of me is like, God, what are you thinking? What are you doing? It's bad enough to come to Nazareth. But then as you do that, who do you come to in Nazareth? You come to this girl who's barely of age to be able to bear children and not yet married and not part of any family. What are you doing? And so I want to invite us just to pause here for a moment. And as we do that, just to picture what's happening, here's this young girl, Mary. And who is it that appears to her? The angel Gabriel. Now, almost everyone I know loves angels. In fact, what do you picture when you have a picture of an angel in your mind? Uh, Maybe something like this, maybe sort of something white and bright and angelic, obviously, and with wings and with a sense of power. That's what many of us think of with the concept of angels. But in reality, in scripture, we're not given pictures of angels as winged creatures. In fact, creatures called cherubim, such as in Exodus 25, 20 and Ezekiel 10, 16, those were the creatures with wings. We're never told that angels have wings. Instead, we're given the impression that angels more often than not look like what we might call divine human beings. In fact, in places like Daniel 8, verses 15 and 16 and Daniel 9, verse 21, we're given descriptions of Gabriel resembling more of him being a man of sorts, not a winged being. And Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, reminds us to show hospitality to strangers because in doing so, we might show hospitality to angels and not even realize it. Because I can guarantee you, if you had an angel with big, flapping wings, or maybe even small, flapping wings, show up at your house and you hosted such an angel, you would remember it. You would not mistake it and later on realize that you had hosted an angel if they showed up like that. So the more accurate picture of Gabriel speaking to Mary is probably more of Gabriel looking like a man, but having some sort of supernatural element to him. And what is this angel doing with Mary? He's appearing at just the right time to give just the right message to Mary to push her in just the right direction. That's what angels do. They encounter us at just the right time to give us just the right message, to push us or nudge us in just the right direction. And most likely, most of the time, they don't have those wings. Have you ever had somebody like that in your life? Maybe somebody who stopped and helped you that you had never seen before and have never seen since. Maybe somebody who helped you fix a car, get you gas, fix a flat tire, Maybe somebody who helped you navigate a computer system or a problem or helped you in a way that nobody else would. In my life, I think of Todd. I can't even to this day remember his last name, but my senior year in college when I was trying to decide as best as I could, God, where are you leading me to go to seminary? It was at that time that Todd came to Messiah College where I was going to school at the time. And to this day, I don't remember how we initially connected. He was not my residence director, so I don't know where our paths crossed. And we've never seen each other since I graduated from college. And he was only at Messiah College for one year but you would have thought somebody was paying him an exorbitant amount of money to get people, and specifically me, to go to Duke. He asked me every single time I saw him, had I checked out Duke Divinity School? Had I made a visit to Duke Divinity School? When was I going to Duke Divinity School? And I actually was not looking to go to Duke until Todd. And because of him, I eventually said, look, I will go check it out, okay? And when I went, a lot of things happened that I felt like that's where God is calling me to go. Now, I'm not saying that Todd was an angel, but angels are like that. They show up, they impact our lives in significant ways at just the right time, delivering just the right message to help us take our next steps forward. And actually, that's what angels do. Literally, angel means messenger from the Greek word angelos. That's what Gabriel's doing for Mary here today. I wonder who might God want to use you in an angelic way with in their life right now to deliver some kind of significant message at just the right time? Who do you know right now who needs a helping hand, a specific word, some guidance, some direction, a push? You might be the very person that God wants to use, again, in an angelic way to help them take the next step in their life by sharing a particular message with them. So here we have this supernatural being named Gabriel showing up to this nobody person named Mary, the least likely of candidates as a 13 or 14-year-old girl in this time, in this culture, in this place, in that out-of-the-way place called Nazareth. And then what's the message that's given? We hear this in Luke verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 28. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. You, Mary, the least of all people, you will be the one to give birth to the one and only Son of God in the entire universe. You will be the one to be a part of the most significant birth ever in the history of everything. It's almost unfathomable. But Mary gets what Gabriel is sharing with her, at least to a small degree, because notice what her response was. It says that Mary was greatly troubled and basically wondered what in the world was going on. The name Jesus in Hebrew is Yahshua, and it means God delivers or God saves. In ancient times, names pointed directly to identity. So Mary would have also known that the kings in ancient Israel were all designated as sons of God. And all of this would have added up in Mary's mind and heart and spirit so that she was beginning to realize that Jesus was a different kind of son of God and that this son would be great and that this son would rule on the throne forever. In other words, Mary is getting a sense of the significance of what's happening here. And picture it as she's beginning to realize this, as it's beginning to download in her mind, as it's beginning to dawn on her that this king will be in her womb. You can imagine the sense of what's going on for her, but there would have been this element of both how wonderful that I will be carrying this king and how utterly terrifying There is such a part of me that loves Mary's response here because her initial response to the angel and to God is not, yes, Lord, just sign me up, I'm ready to go. Because she realized the significance of what the angel was sharing. And it was not, I've been waiting for this moment, God, I'm ready, let's go. And it's not, hey God, it's about time. If anyone deserves to be the mother of God, it's me. There's none of that. Mary's original response involves feelings of doubt, and wonder, and fear, and she seems more than a little nervous, which to me seems about right, which to me seems to enter into that spirit of humility we talked about a few moments ago. Anytime any of us hear the words, do not be afraid, being uttered from an angel, we would do well to be a little or a lot nervous like Mary because it means what you're about to be asked is something significant and probably scary, but that God will be with you just the same. We hear more of Mary's doubt and confusion in her next questions in Luke 1.34 when she says, How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? Now, certainly there's a biological question being raised here by Mary. Mary cannot understand how she can physically become pregnant when she has never physically been with a man. But on top of that, Mary knows if she does become pregnant, it will not be good for her. It will not be good for her family. It will not be good for Joseph. There is a great, great risk here. She would be ruining her reputation and the reputation of all of her family. She could even be put to death, stoned to death according to the law by becoming pregnant outside of wedlock. This is a lot for a 13 or 14 year old girl to have to try to process and comprehend. But really, Mary is asking more than a biological question here. She's really asking a theological question. And the question that's being asked is, how can God use Mary, who is broken and full of doubt and afraid and young and not of royalty Mary, from nowheresville, Nazareth? How can God use her? And the angel Gabriel answers that question. When he proclaims this in verses 35 to 37, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. In other words, Mary, you are not alone. How can this happen? With God, by the grace of God, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because the power of the Most High will come upon you and fill you. Amazing things are already underway, Mary. God knows. God's already moving. Just ask your cousin Elizabeth. For with this God, all things are possible with this God, you will not fail. Know that today, Mary. And then look, all of this has taken place and leads to this final response from Mary. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Part of what I love about Mary is that Mary is not a model of perfection. She's a model of faithfulness. It's not that Mary has no doubt. It's not that Mary has the right credentials. It's not that Mary doesn't feel fear or concern. It's not that Mary feels all ready and equipped. Rather, it's in spite of all of those things that Mary still says, yes, Lord. In spite of her many doubts and fears, she says, I am the Lord's servant. May your words to me be fulfilled. This is incredible because what we see here is a God who deals with our doubts and deals with our fears and deals with our nervousness. This is a God who wants to use us and move through us and do the impossible in our world in spite of our shortcomings. And if God will move through Mary and her imperfections and doubts, you can know and believe that God will use us in our doubts and our imperfections to do the same. The season of Advent, this journey begins with this announcement to Mary, to bear Jesus in our world. But this is also an Advent announcement that comes to each one of us, that we too are called to bear Jesus in our world, even when we do not feel equipped to do so. This is a God who loves us enough to enlist us to partner with God in the world and also bring Jesus into our world. And this is a God who enlists the most ordinary, broken, doubt-filled of people to be God's disciples. What we see in Mary today is the model of discipleship. She hears the call of God on her life, and despite it all, she says, yes, I am the Lord's servant. And what that means is that you and I today, as contemporary disciples of Jesus, we stand in the line of discipleship that was modeled by Mary herself. Mary as this ordinary person chosen by God for this extraordinary assignment, who had the willingness to say yes i am the lord's servant all of this makes me wonder as we begin this advent journey today what might god want to birth in you where is god wanting you to say yes i am the lord's servant because most likely whatever god wants to birth in and through you it will require getting out of our comfort zone it might overwhelm us a little or a lot. In fact, when we consider our own Christian journeys, if we've not been out of our comfort zone in a while, we might want to stop and ask ourselves why. We have just recently come off a stewardship focus together in preparation for 2024. And part of the goal of that stewardship focus is not only to recognize all the blessings that God has given us, but to help us get out of our own comfort zone and take a step of faith in some direction so that Christ might be born in our world in new ways through the ministries of this place. Is there a specific sacrifice of of time or resource that God is calling you to offer so that Christ can be birthed in someone among us? Will we do that or is doubt and fear holding us back? Is there a particular conversation you know you need to have? Is there a particular message you have for someone at the right time to help them take their next faithful step forward? Is there someone on your heart that you know that God is calling you to just come alongside and walk with and share with, but you, you just haven't yet done that? And is there a way that you know God wants to use you in this world? you have just been reluctant to say yes out of fear and doubt. Well, today, may we take encouragement in the model of Mary, who despite the doubt and despite the question said, Yes, I am the Lord's servant.